0: DiscerningHearts.com presents St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare, and the Progress of the Soul, with Dan Burke, who is the founder and president of the Avila Institute for Spiritual Formation. He's also the co-host of the Divine Intimacy radio show with his wife, Stephanie. He is the author and editor of more than 17 books on Catholic spirituality, including Devil in the Castle, the book on which this series is based. St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Yeah, I think she really is. And I think this is, again, why your work is so important, Dan, because there, we've all heard the term new evangelization. You and I have been steeped in that term for a couple decades now and trying to respond to that. But at its heart, what John Paul was, St. John Paul, was imploring us to do was to not necessarily expand means of communication, which that's good. That's a good secondary way of responding to get the word out. But what is the word? And it's to teach those things once again, about what happened to you, Christian, especially you Catholic, when you were baptized, right? How do you navigate this incredible experience, this gift of grace, this being brought into the heart of divine love. And what does that mean? But as you're navigating in that, you have to understand the realities. And Teresa will tell us, and you help through this work, I want to go into more detail and other aspects of it, but the importance of even acknowledging and not being afraid because it's kind of a flip way of, of, of looking at things, being afraid of using the term, the devil right. to name it to evil, that it's out there and it's trying to stop you. And she spends, I mean, after that beautiful beginning of that first mansion, she talks about that in the first chapter, how beautiful it is. She's spending time on that second chapter. And as you bring out, you got to realize what's happening here. Cause this is a darkness that is Covering your vision, you don't see where you're at, and it's to your detriment.
1: Yeah, and I think it's because of uh, modernism in the church, or, you know, which really is a longstanding problem, but also the Enlightenment. We're sort of overly oriented to uh, scientism, and if I can't measure it, it's not real. And so the talk of the devil can make people uncomfortable. But I think for me, having been in many exorcisms, Wow. There's no doubt that he's real, but God be praised, he's nothing in comparison to the Lord. You know, he Amen. He's, he's literally nothing. It's sort of like, you know, the worst mismatch since the creation of time. However, for us, for that's for God, right? That's the worst mismatch and if certainly if he's for us who can be against us. But in this life, for the sake of our preparation for our longer journey in the next phase, which is in eternity, we are required and it is necessary for us to, to look these things face to face because when we do, we begin to gain greater clarity about our own sins and weaknesses, our own frailties. There, because of the fall, because of our own sin, there are barriers between us and him. And, and, but the beloved can remove every barrier and he wants to and this is the succession of the of the walk with this process of the lord inviting us we move we discover a deeper healing that's needed through the temptation of the enemy through the attacks of the enemy whether it's direct or it's influencing other people or it's or it's temptation for us to to sin which then reveals the thing that keeps us from him in that moment he says please let me heal you or, or in the words of C.S. Lewis, in The Great Divorce, you have the great angel standing before the man with the demon on his shoulder. Please let me kill it. It's going to be glorious. I mean, I'm extrapolating. It's going to be glorious if you let me kill it. And the demon's saying, no, you need me. You need to, I'm help you do these things. And you feel this, you know, and the, the angel of God saying, no, let me, let me, let me make you free. Let me kill it. And then of course, in that, uh, in that imagery, the person, says yes to god in essence and the angel kills it and then emerges this glorious reality of who this person is really meant to be and he moves from this sort of vile tepid creature to this glorious beautiful creature and that's the thing god wants to do for us and that's why the enemy is still allowed to work it's for the sake of our salvation for the sake of our purification And if we understand how the enemy works, because he's a creature just like you and me, there's a much greater reality for both of us as we move toward the Lord to becoming the, the most full, unique expression of Chris McGregor, Dan Burke, the most full, unique and beautiful expression wherein our wills are united with God, but we are no less Chris and no less Dan, but we're more perfectly Chris and Dan so that. We worship him in a purity so that we become a light to the world, so that we help others to become free, so that we participate in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so what she reveals in the interior castle is at each step, what's the glorious end that God wants? And then how will the work of the enemy oppose us? And then how can we fight against it? And so in the book, at the end of every chapter. And I, I, I should remember the structure, but uh, in the end of each chapter, there's a demonic goal, summary, key Mm -hmm. tactics of the enemy. So breaking out specifically what she said, how to battle the tactics successfully based on her writings and and the teachings of the church. And then one thing that was cool that she does that I was surprised by, she always gives encouragement. Mm -hmm. She always, you know, and at the end of the, uh, the first mansion, she talks about as we develop and commit to foundational spiritual disciplines, as we discussed uh, prayer and, and some kind of examination, you'll get better at fighting. And as you draw near to the one who conquers all, you grow more aware of yourself, of God and of the enemy, thus become less susceptible to attacks and deceptions. St. Teresa encourages perseverance, noting that the devil is less successful with those who are near the king's dwelling. And of course, in another place, I think it was in the book of her life, she said, God withholds himself from no one who perseveres. That's one of my favorite quotes of hers. He's just so willing and ready and desirous of bringing us near to him. And so he's constantly pouring out grace to say, Chris, this way, not that way, (laughs) this way. Hopefully, he doesn't have to correct you as much as he does me, but Dan, come this (laughs) way, not that way, you know?
0: What you've just described, I mean, again, here we go back. This is what a mother does.
1: Yes, mother right. is
0: the great encourager. Come great on encourager. kids. You know, you get, get back into this school. You can go right. back that day. You can go try again. Let's, let's keep growing. And she doesn't necessarily say it exactly like this, but I think it, it's expressed this way. And I think you really help us to bring it forward, make mm-hmm. it workable in our current lives is the recognition of temptation and again, I'm not talking about an overarching theme that will break open more in in future conversations, but that temptation, especially that comes from a relationship, you know, which relationship are you going to choose? And a man that I admire so much, and I know that he's someone I I believe that you hold in high regard to is Father Dennis McManus, who, who talks about how we have to understand that the angels are beings of relationship because they too were created in the image of God. And he's a God of relationship. Just look at the Trinity. But anyway, the fallen angels, even though they're fallen, they're still beings of relationship. Yeah. And they want, if you invite them in if by your behavior, by your choices, the things that you do, you open that door, you're saying, come in and yeah. they take you at your word. They work. do. And we have to guard against that. And doesn't Teresa, Dan, I mean, if throughout the, the whole book is like, how do you recognize and say no to the, those many, many pitfalls and pratfalls that people who, who are in sick relationships with those those beings, how to break free from that and why you should.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the first mansion, you know, as, as we talked about what is required in a sense to enter in. She talks about the demons in the outer court and how at this stage, you're going from good to better, to use Ignatian terms, which is good, but you're still rather far from the center of the castle and you're pretty close to sin. And probably at this stage, you're going to have commonly habitual mortal sin, habitual venial sin, those sorts of things. So what is the devil? How does he tempt you at this stage? He tempts you with all aspects of the world, the flesh and the devil, right? Right. Lust of the flesh, pride of life, things that appeal to your sensual nature, to your pride—all of these things. Because we're not yet really entering into the, a deeper kind of purification. We're not yet. We're more in the stage of fighting sin than we are acquiring virtue. I mean, they can work hand in hand, but the early stage is is very difficult, and it's where the and the demons actually exert more effort. In her description, at this stage, because of the fear of, they know. If Chris McGregor gets near Jesus, I'm lost. The closer Chris McGregor gets to Jesus, the the less control the enemy has. So if he wants to get you, he wants to get you at the beginning because he's smart. Where you're weak, that's the other problem in the beginning, in this first mansion, because of habitual sin, and sin darkens the intellect and weakens the will. And so we have this sort of circle the drain problem of... I sin, I'm weaker. I'm sin, I'm weaker. I sin, I'm more in control uh, of the enemy than of God, even though I desire God. And and so, in this stage, the enemy goes all out. And, you know, maybe, uh, well, for me, one of the temptations of my early Christian walk was that I was, uh, my home life was so bad, but I was very good at business. And so, he tempted me to think of business in ways that drew me away from my primary state in life, like my role as a father, you know, that's where I'm spending time with children and tempted me into ambition, right? And, mm-hmm. and accomplishment. My first book was a business book, um, which is very hard to do, get published in comparison to Catholic material. And, you know, I had that goal. And when I reached the goal, I thought, wow, this is a total worthless endeavor because I had been already advancing with Jesus and, and it was a long, hard, difficult thing to do. And then I accomplished it and realized this means nothing. But the enemy was saying, but if you do this, people will hold you in esteem and, you know, you'll get better jobs and you know, all of that. So, so whatever it is, your weakness is, it could be sex, it could be drugs, it could be whatever. For me, it was primarily business. He will amplify opportunities. He will bring people in your life you know, if you, if you struggle with drugs, as an example, and I'm working mm-hmm. with somebody who has a cocaine addiction right now. And, and so the first big break was to get away from the relationship with his dealer, who was his best friend, right? <laughs> really hard to do, but great it's,
0: relationship right? I mean, in their mind. That's
1: uh-huh. yeah. so the enemy's doing all that to, to say, to, to try to draw you back, you know? And so it's, I think It may be the most important contribution this book has to give is to so many of those people who are in the pews who've never been ignited for Jesus, right? It feels to me like, you know, discerning hearts, all of your ministry is about igniting hearts, you know, but once they get ignited, the gift she brings is, okay, now be aware, this is what's going to happen. And if you're aware and you understand, you'll know how to take action. I know that's an Ignatian framework, not a Carbolite one, but it's all applies, right? You it know? All,
0: it's the same all the way. That's yeah. across the board, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, isn't that the, yeah. what you teach your kid?
1: Yeah. So that's the gift of what she does is okay. I'm going from good to better. What's going to happen? Okay, it's going to happen. Okay, now I wow, I see it happening. So then I'm not a victim to it as much. You know, we still still have a weak will. We still have compulsions that are destructive to us. But when you're awake and aware, you can fight, and she gives us the tools to fight.
0: We'll return to St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. A Love Song by St. Teresa of Avila Majestic sovereign, timeless wisdom Your kindness melts my hard, cold soul Handsome lover, selfless giver Your beauty fills my dull, sad eyes I am yours You made me I am yours You called me I am yours You saved me I am yours. You loved me. I will never leave your presence. Give me death. Give me life. Give me sickness. Give me health. Give me honor. Give me shame. Give me weakness. Give me strength. I will have whatever you give. Amen. We now return to St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke. Okay, now I'm going to offer, once again, I'm to refer to you my brother, my brother in Christ. When I first began to read your book, The Devil in the Castle, the first chapter or two, I began to read it and I'm like, oh, ouch, <laughs> you know, and I didn't like it. I mean, it's not that I didn't like the book. I mean, it's like I was reading some of it. And I'm going, oh, man. Oh, and then I would have to put it down and, and I would think, well, that, that you can't say that. I mean, that's really <laughs> harsh. And then, and then I realized, why, why is that bugging me?
1: Uh huh.
0: Why is that hitting me like that? And then I go back and, well, you know what, that's right. right. And that's why it's needed in today's world because in Teresa's time, And this is why it's so transcendent, I think, over this period, and that's why I think it's good to have her good son come forward and describe this in this world. You're a scholar of the world, Mm -hmm. okay, Dan? Uh, I don't mean, I'm going down a rabbit hole real quick, but don't negate what you have to say to the world. Scholars are those guys who know a language of the particular, the technical thing. They know the language that was originally written in so that they go back and they And that's all very important, but you understand the language of the world Mm. and you're a scholar of the world. You understand that I hopefully, because this is a vision that would have been very difficult to absorb back then, a time like today where you, okay, she had a struggle with romance novels. Mm-hmm. OK, and not even the kind that we read that are on the right, shelves of right. bookstores everywhere. Pretty
1: tame back then.
0: Yeah, pretty tamed. I mean, she had to she struggled with that or she didn't have to deal with flipping on a switch and watching daytime dramas for women. She did always a click away at uh, porn for guys and for women. Yeah. Um, in, surrounded by music that she loved the cast net. She loved the song, but not the kind of stuff that can lead us down a path we don't want to go. And I could go on and on and on in a world that is swirling around and so confusing. And some of the things that we never, I mean, I don't think she ever could have even conceived in the darkness we do in the daylight right now. Yeah. And so how do you begin to become aware of the things that are going to tempt you away? And so I think that's why the courage to have this kind of book out there, especially when you have many in the spiritual realm would say, well, don't, that's going to be off-putting for people. That's going to frighten people. Sometimes you have to, as a parent, I keep going to those because you and I are parents. And so this is the language that we speak. You know, as a parent, you have to tell your kid the truth. Mm -hmm. Otherwise they're going to be walking into a situation that could harm them. And you're going to say, oh, I wish I would have done this.
1: Yeah, and Mm -hmm. that's what does compel me because I do really have a deep love for people and I don't want them to be uncomfortable or you know, I don't want to upset people. But in the end, none of that matters if we aren't getting free. And so I've had to learn to communicate in a way that's more gentle or whatever. But I think my natural inclination to directness, which I do share with Teresa, is really helpful and powerful in these kinds of communications, like in a book or a public speech, not so much personal, private, but uh, and and it's so not prominent in the church today. Uh, you know, uh, last two homilies I heard from a really good guy. Uh, you know, young in in seminary and all that. He says the scholars say this, and every time he says the scholars say something, it's a watering down of what Jesus said. Not a bringing to clarity. It's a softening. It's a, a Beijing, if you will. I don't know how to say it. And that's not my that's not my approach, because I I don't think it's helpful. I think that it can help people feel good on the way to hell, but it doesn't cut through. You know, the most powerful words I've received in my life, you know, one executive Christian guy said, will you ever stop being motivated by anger? I'm so grateful he had the courage to say it to me because it cut through the sort of soft communications and friendships and niceties and really open my eyes to something that had me in bondage so that I could be free. So Jesus does that. He does it all the time to, to people near to him and, and those who weren't near to him. And I think it, it's important for us to do the same as we teach, you know, you're a teacher. That's part of what you do. We need not soften these things, but we need also to pastorally serve people to apply them in a way. So we don't make people scrupulous or whatever, but softening the language and the call is only slowing people down up the the narrow way instead of saying, no, this is hard, but I'll climb with you. You know, I'll walk with you. It'll be okay.
0: Yeah. And even in that first section, the remedy to those things that those relationships, those things you need to break away from, so Mm -hmm. you can move towards something more beautiful. They're not, they're lovely things. Yes. I mean, reading scripture, entering right. into a deeper prayer. I mean, why? This is not toil. This is yeah. a beautiful, wonderful thing.
1: It is. Yeah. And and, and that's, I think sometimes, in, in, and she talks about this later in the book. It's one of the tactics of the enemy. Actually, I think it may be in the second bench, but I'll have to refresh my memory. But she talks about the tendency, once we begin to go from good to better, we begin to see the world as it truly is the contrast gets sharper, the fog begins to lift, and then we begin to see our own sin, and then we can become very negative. And a lot of my traditionalist friends fall into this trap. They see the beauty of the liturgy, they love it, and they see the banality, Paul VI himself, Called the ordinary form uh, banal and struggled with what Bunini had done and exiled him off to Iran for that because of that and other things. Right, so it's easy to focus on the problems. It's easy to it's easy to say ah the bad bishops ah you know this. That I think the harder way, which requires more time, it requires us to implicate ourselves in the lives of others. is just, just to say, you know, he, he changed my life. You know, he helped me to see my son when he converted. Uh, he was already Catholic. He had sort of slipped away and he came back and he said, he got liberated through a kind of deliverance. Uh, my wife touched him and just in a moment, he was set free. It's the weirdest thing, Be- beautiful thing. He walked outside and he said, for the first time in my life that I could ever remember, I could see the blue sky and how beautiful it was. You know, mm. The kingdom of God is the most glorious, beautiful thing that anyone can ever imagine. It's harder to talk about that beauty. It's one of the reasons I love Dr. Lillis so much, is because he is, he's probably in our time, Claire Dwyer is up there too, but capable of writing in a way that reveals the beauty like, like nobody else. And that's, that's, I think, deeply compelling to a soul. Yes, we need to be, say this is sin, this is bad. Yes, there's a hell, but wow. The opposite is glorious and worth giving your entire life for.
0: Yeah. And she will, Teresa of she will tell us in the very beginning, start with yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's you did that at the beginning of this conversation, talked about how you needed to be transformed. It begins with you first, look, clean that out. And she even tells you, don't don't bother looking at other people in the other boat, focus on your own.
1: And, you know, you're Benedict and Oblate, if I remember right, right? That's right. Well, so your your man, uh, St. Benedict, in The Rule talks about the devil's zealots. And he's talking about the same thing that St. Teresa talks about, which are people who get on fire. But then the enemy is is really good at judo. And and that the martial art of judo is primarily the use of the momentum of the other against them. Mm. And so you're running up the narrow way. You become aware of your sin, which is very powerful. And he quickly goes and look at her and look at him. He's taking that momentum to get you to flip you off the narrow way or turn you back around. And that's one of the key tactics in the early mansions that she reveals is very common. And, and St. Benedict reveals that we need to fight against. We need to see it and go, okay, nope, not. You know, John of the Cross is so adamant in his precautions or religious he says, do not, for any reason, make anyone else's business your own in the monastery. Deal with your stuff. You be obedient. You be holy. And don't, do not look at, now it doesn't mean he meant to hide, but, but he's talking about just the normal daily life of looking at someone and why is their habit wrinkled why are they praying like that? That's not according to the rule. That, you know, that's the, the superior's job, not yours. You be holy, you focus. And Jesus said it too, you strive, right? You focus on you.
0: You know, I again, I'm, I'm so grateful for the time we've had, even in this portion of our conversation, Dan, to begin to understand the beauty of this wonderful castle, this journey, and to see the gift that Teresa of Avila, in helping us to acknowledge, to understand what can lead us astray and that there is a very real enemy. She knows that because our Lord said that that was true, right? She She's not just saying it because it's hyper medieval verbiage. She's saying it because the scriptures and he taught it himself. And so she knows it's important for us to understand, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. The devil is not a psychological construct as one very popular Catholic writer claims. Jesus wasn't psychologizing on the Mount of Temptation. I was just there in Israel, outside of Jericho, on that same mount where Orthodox monastery is built. He actually met the devil, or Jesus is a kook, or a liar, or a deceiver, and he's none of those, of course. What he says is true. When he said he was tempted the way he was tempted is true. When he saw the enemy and other people and cast them out, he actually did cast them out. And uh, of course, St. Teresa believe that with every ounce of her being. And it's my desire to to do the same.
0: Well, again, I'm grateful for this conversation. I'm looking forward to future ones. Any final thoughts, Dan?
1: Other than to tell everyone, you really should support what Chris is doing. It's very unique. It's different than what we do over at spiritualdirection.com, very complimentary. But I think Chris has a unique talent for finding great folks like Father Timothy Gallagher and Dr. Anthony Lillis, and really bringing out, she's a great interviewer. I mean, just support discerning hearts. I think it's a a vital and important ministry in the church in this time.
0: Well, ditto. I think what we do and and everything that you're doing, I'm, I'm just so excited to explore it more. Not only the books, not only Devil in the Interior Castle, but let's talk about what other endeavors that the Avalon Institute is doing and kind of explore that and talk about that retreat center that you are oh, gosh. Uh, working on so hard. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about that too in the future too and break it all open. Very good. Thank you so much. And give to your beloved Stephanie, who is a great companion with you on the journey, all of our best.
1: I will. I will. Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to St. Teresa of Avela, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. Also, you can view the video of our conversation by visiting the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you find us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare, and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke.